Today on Ag News Daily. Especially the fertilizer prices being significantly higher than last year, uh, at least when in the early pricing, herbicide and crop protection programs and seed pricing looks to be you know slightly up. Some of the fertilizer prices that we're we're looking at are are nearly double what they were last year. Good morning, everyone, and happy Farmer Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined this morning by Tanner Winterhoff. Tanner, it's a crisp, cool day back here in Iowa. Welcoming me home. Right in a warm back up, though. We're going to get to mid-70s today. and uh, Like our Friday farmer interview that you'll hear next, uh, it'll be a welcome change from our sweatshirts and potentially Carhartts there the last couple of days into regular fall where you got to start with a sweatshirt on and you're going to want your t-shirt by mid-afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's going to have some temperature swings here. It's probably going to be one of the warmest Octobers that we've seen, Tanner. Yeah, which is interesting to compare because like I said, we had freezing conditions the last couple of days uh, to an extent to where you even had to pull the winter coats out for the kids to send them to school. But um, it's got average written all over it. So we'll see what that ends up looking like. But Delaney, to jump right into it, the weather pattern is now going to flip-flop. So like I said, we were cold there for a little while. Now we're going to become unseasonably warm. Where our Farmer Friday interview is coming from, South Dakota, that portion of the western side of the United States is now going to flip-flop into colder than usual temperatures. So this weather pattern now, when it flip-flops, could allow for major storms to unfold right here in the middle of the United States. Some areas might receive blizzarding conditions. You're looking at uh, Nevada, Utah, Colorado, maybe a little bit. The southern side of South Dakota, uh, they could also receive strong winds, dry winds. Of course, that's not good for fire threats. Um, And then we've got on the eastern side of the Midwest, the strong thunderstorm and potential tornado capabilities coming there. Our temperatures are going to rise, uh, are going to rise about 50 to 70 degrees in some areas from where they were three to four days ago. Of course, the senior meteorologist at AccuWeather says the winds could kick up and move dust around from the dry areas in the Great Plains. Strong winds will develop in the northwest, leading to some thunderstorms. Of course, 60 to mile an hour is the prediction. Could have a max of 90 in some areas. But Delaney, we may be in for, towards the end of this weekend, some interesting October weather. Because you don't hear about very many tornadoes hitting in October. No, that would certainly be a little bit of a strange uh, incident to have happen this late in the season. Yeah, and it just looks like it's going to be weird all across the Midwest. And when you look at the map, the East Coast and the West Coast have kind of just been left alone. So it's it's the greater central part of the country. Well, Tanner, let's take things down to South America, where they are continuing to have bad weather as they're trying to get their wheat crop rolling right along. They have seen quite a bit of prolonged drought, plus a recent cold snap down in Argentina has slashed production forecasts for wheat and pasta ingredients by nearly 8% that we've seen in a downward revision over the past week. The current 22-23 wheat crop is estimated at 15.2 million tons 
down from last week's forecast of 16 and a half million tons, according to the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange in their weekly report on Thursday. So we often think, Tanner, about Argentina producing soybeans because that is their number one commodity, but they're also a large producer of wheat as well. And certainly don't like to see in a year like this that they are having a decrease in the size of their crop. Well, yeah, corn for them also is not doing very well. Their corn planting is the slowest in the last six years. So, you know, you're talking wheat predictions being backed off. Well, the rainfall and dryness because of the La Nina system has really pushed back planting. So they are only 16% planted on their corn crop, which is behind the five-year average of 30%. But the reasons this is throwing up some red flags is they don't see it catching up soon because they've only had about 20% of their average rainfall. So typically, they get more rain in October as they're getting their spring kicked off, but they've only seen two-tenths to half an inch of rain, which is not nearly enough to turn their dry soils into a good seedbed to issue germination. So it'll be interesting to see if the corn forecasts begin to fall right alongside those wheat ones, Delaney. Yeah, and it's expected to continue here in the U.S. as well as we're seeing drought expand to nearly about 60% of the country. Analysts are suggesting that low water levels on the Mississippi are likely to persist this winter, Tanner, as we're going to see a drier than normal weather pattern across the southern United States and the Gulf Coast area. We're going to see less snowfall in the northern portions of the United States and see, like we are saying there, drier than normal weather for this winter season. And that will obviously drastically impact a lot of different factors, such as barge traffic once the spring reopens, the ability to see some snowfall and ground moisture as we head into planting next season. And so they're suggesting it's going to be the third consecutive winter here of a La Nina weather pattern, which is, I mean, for me, I like having a drier winter because it's a little less cold, there's less snow, but... From an agricultural perspective, that is not an ideal weather pattern to have. No, and, you know, I've had conversations with farmers throughout the state of Iowa that are not seeing their tile lines running. The tile outlets are dry, uh, obviously dealing with some moisture shortages here. But I'm going to go over to Russia just for a couple of quick hits. The Russian government has issued a notice saying that they plan to export over 50 million tons of grain in the 2022 and 2023 area or time period. Russia says that due to yield, they are able to secure supplies for home and feed the world. Their yield will provide grain both home and abroad, according to their deputy agriculture minister, at a forum yesterday. So Russian's foreign ministry says that they can confirm their readiness to supply both grain and fertilizers to ensure food security throughout the world. Meanwhile, they've had difficulties to do so and are blaming the United States as they blocked many opportunities as possible to make financial settlements on Russian products nearly impossible. So a little banter back and forth, but it turns out that the grain harvest and yields in Russia were quite well. And then Zelensky popped up in a headline stating that Russia had wired a hydroelectric dam and it is set to explode. And if it explodes, could flood 80 towns in the Ukrainian region. So the Ukrainian 
The Ukrainian government is now accusing Russia of planting these mines after a key spy had leaked the information. This dam uh, is downstream from Kyrgyzstan, the Kyrgyzstan region, where Ukraine has been making steady advances against Russian forces. Zelensky said he made the announcement, so that way, if the dam does get ex- set off charges for explosion, that when Russia goes to blame Ukraine, you have the truth, is what his comment was. So if the Russian terrorists blow up the dam, more than 80 settlements, including Kyrgyzstan, will be in a zone of rapid flooding. Hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people may be affected. So just a little bit of shots fired across the media yesterday as Russia poked at the U.S. and Ukraine poked back at Russia. Delaney? Well, Tanner, in some other geopolitical news, the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, Liz Truss, announced her resignation after only 45 days on the job, which is the shortest serving prime minister in the nation's history. Tanner, this was certainly not a positive move for the British pound, which has already been hitting some of their all-time lows since 1985. And hard to say for sure, but likely that she felt overwhelmed by the stress of the economy and impact going on in the UK as they have one of the highest inflation rates worldwide. Yeah, uh, poor economic performance and high inflation obviously can run a toll on a leader, especially if the first couple of decisions that you make don't send things in a positive direction. But the last piece I have for our Friday episode edition today is some advice on keeping your windows clean in your combine. So AgWeb had put out an article a couple of days ago giving some advice and responded with a bunch of comments from you as listeners and readers stating that the best mentioned options are a California car duster. Delaney, do you know what that is? I don't. I was about to ask. So it looks like a mop, a short mop handle, but it has, uh, it's one of those two. I've got one. My grandpa gave it to me a long time ago. For, you know, I used to own a lot of black vehicles. So you drive down the gravel road, take your duster, and you could make your clean truck clean again just by wiping the dust off. The mop, at least the theory is the dirtier your duster gets, the more effective it works. And I would say it uh, would be a good option. Rain X, so repelling rain, sleet, and snow also does well to repel dust. <laughs> one, uh, one writer had stated that. They use cotton T-shirts. So we'll take old T-shirts that are ripped or dirty, and they will store those. John Deere glass cleaner is one option. And then the last one, Delaney, which I've seen done and never tried myself on either my farm, my family's farm, or my in-laws, and that is to drag a chain from the rear axle of your combine. So there's a couple of readers stated here that it helps to reduce static, which makes the dust stick to the windows. He goes, I don't know, but I've done it for 20 years. Not saying it's the answer for everyone, but I only clean my windows when it rains. So I thought that was an interesting one. Does your husband drag a chain from the rear axle of his combine? I don't think so. I've never heard of him doing that. If so, have you, have you done that? Well, that's what I'm saying is on my farm, my family's farm and my in-laws, we have never dragged a chain, but I have customers that do. I just didn't realize what it was for. No, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. But interesting story for Friday after Friday morning here. You bet. Do you have anything left or is it time to jump into the markets? 
I think it's time to jump into the markets here, Tanner. And seeing the overnight action here, grains were pushing lower. As we head into the opening session here, December new crop corn will open five pennies lower on the morning at 679. New crop soybeans will open at 1377, traded 14 and a half cents lower in the overnight. December wheat will open this morning at 835 and a half down 13 and three quarters cents in the overnight. And as we take a look at the livestock markets here, they were mixed in the overnight here as the December live cattle contract was down, was up 32 and a half cents at a buck 51.67. November feeders were lower 52 and a half cents at a buck 77. And December lean hawks were lower 35 cents in the overnight, open at 87.02 and a half. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our Farmer Friday conversation today with Keith Alverson. Well, for today's Farmer Friday interview, we're taking things up to South Dakota to chat with Keith Alverson today. Keith, thanks for joining us. How is your harvest season going this year? Uh, things have went pretty smooth. Uh, early harvest. And so, you know, we got rolling on soybeans in late September at typical time, but uh, the corn was drying down pretty rapidly with the warm weather. And so we were able to jump right into corn and it's just been, uh, you know, how hard do we want to work today kind of harvest uh, because it was all dry and coming out of the field uh, real easily. And so uh, we're about 80% done, just have about uh, three or four days left to harvest. Nice. So Keith, for our listeners, where, uh, where's your farm at and what kind of crops are you guys raising? Okay. So, um, farms located at Chester, South Dakota, and sets, uh, Northwest of Sioux Falls, about 30 miles, 35 miles. Uh, we grow corn and soybeans and have a mix of, uh, irrigated and dry land acres right here in, uh, South, Southeast Lake County. So Keith, it sounded, sounds like you guys are chugging right along. How far are you through harvest? Uh, we're about 80% wrapped up uh, with, with corn harvest. Um, I've got a November corn contract. And so I think we're going to, we're going to let the, the rest of the corn sit for a few days and, and haul it straight into the, to the local ethanol plant and uh, do some other fall work here. But, you know, things have went along really smoothly. How have the receivers in your area been doing storage wise? Are you are you seeing what looks like to be a normal fall storage wise, extra ground piles or early shutdowns? I would say average. You know, we're we had such a short crop last year in our area that I think everybody had, you know, kind of used up uh, you know, hauled out all their on farm storage bushels and uh, you know, all the elevators and everything were, were pretty empty going into harvest. And, you know, kind of hearing ranging yield reports, but uh, in general, we're, we're slightly below average or slightly below APH in the area for corn harvest. And so not making for, for necessarily huge lines or uh, huge piles anywhere. I would say that, you know, it seems like we're, we're filling things up, but it's not, uh, not been bustered type uh, yields that we're seeing in the area. Keith, I'm curious too. We've of course been talking a lot on the podcast about all of these different transportation issues with barge traffic, rail traffic, et cetera. How's transportation been up there for you guys? You know, 
in our area, um, we're so heavily ethanol plant focused uh, that, you know, it's either an ethanol plant or an elevator that, you know, maybe is serving an ethanol plant or serving several ethanol plants uh, more so than the rail. And the rail is is always a bonus when we um, have good rail bids in our region, but uh, ethanol has been our primary market. And so typically when I look to market things, I'm looking at the ethanol plants first and then the, the uh, you know, local shippers or, or rail loaders um, that sometimes are just, you know, transporting corn or storing it temporarily to haul the ethanol plants later in the year. So, you know, can't say that we really feel that impact too much. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of a great, you know, great rail bids in the area. We don't have uh, the local, you know, elevators that have rail capacity, uh, you know, really bidding up to try and compete, but they're, you know, competing well enough to try and grab some bushels just to, to have on hand for later in the year. Well, that's a pretty good look at what harvest has been like for you guys in your area this year. As we look at input prices and how fertilizer availability is shaping up, is that going to affect anything different in your rotation or will you be planning 2023 kind of a standard operation for your farm? It, yeah, it was it was something that we've been mindful of, I guess, uh, with the, especially the fertilizer prices being significantly higher than last year, uh, at least when I, in the early pricing, um, my uh, herbicide and crop protection programs and seed pricing looks to be, you know, slightly up. But, you know, some of the fertilizer prices that we're, we're looking at are, are nearly double what they were last year. Um, it, it's a consideration, but, uh, you know, still when I run the numbers, uh, corn is a really attractive option uh, at, at our farm. Uh, historically, we're about 75 to 80% corn. Um, I, I had anticipated a shift towards a, a few more soybeans, but uh, here in the last couple of weeks, uh, rerunning numbers or kind of continually updating numbers, I think we're going to shift back to what we'd historically done as, you know, 75 to 80% corn, just with the, the revenue that we can generate with that. Um, I, you know, I think that's, that's the move that, that we're deciding to make. So Keith, I'm also curious, you guys are getting ready to do some field prep work and know a lot of farmers are itching to do that and aren't sure if they're going to be able to just because of some of the strange uh, weather swings that we've been having here. What kind of temperatures have you guys been having in overall this season? Did you get adequate rainfall? Because I know that's been a huge area of stress for some growers as well. Yeah, the weather has been unusually warm and, and windy this fall. Um, you know, it's been, gosh, I've, I'll make it through harvest without having to put a stocking hat on. And only in this last week, if I had to wear a coat over my sweatshirt, it's just, uh, you know, so it, it feels, it, it's just been much warmer, um, you know, throughout harvest. And that, that added to the dry down that we saw in the corn. Um, well, the corn was 17 and 18% moisture, uh, the end at the end of September, which is is kind of unheard of. I've seen it one other time in my my farming career uh, to have it that dry that early. Um, we did not have you know what I'd consider adequate rainfall. 
Um, we were really leave, living hand to mouth all summer. Um, we've got, got some good early timely rains, but then it really dried up uh, kind of after starting mid-June uh, when we typically would get dry in South Dakota. And then throughout July and August, we didn't just didn't catch the rains that we needed to to really raise a huge crop. Um, but what timeliness that we had in the rains early, um, you know, gave us a decent crop, you know, much better than last year. Um, if we would have, we would have come into the season with, uh, better, better soil moisture conditions, we maybe could have done a little bit better on the crop yields. Uh, but this is kind of the second drought year in a row. Um, not as bad as last year. You know, we've saw pretty significant increase in yields from last year. Um, but still not, not ideal growing conditions. You know, I think we got about, uh, 12 to 16 inches across the farm for the whole growing season. And so, um, you know, we're six to seven bush or six to seven inches short of, of annual precipitation for what we typically get here. And, and those are pretty important inches. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I felt like there was portions of the year here in central Iowa, we felt the same way, but what we've got different around here is some are struggling to get their corn to dry down. Still got hovering in the 20% range guys running dryers or like you going to leave it in the field just here for a little while because the first half of harvest went really smoothly, but we appreciate you hanging out with us here and giving us the, from the field update. If uh, listeners want to follow you or come and just see what your farm's all about on social media, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat active on, on Twitter. My handle is at corn farmer Keith and do a lot of following some of the other ag Twitter folks. And, you know, that's the way I, I guess, communicate or, you know, do some of my social media stuff. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. appreciate the time opportunity. There you go, Delaney. That's the harvest update from South Dakota. My parents have wrapped up their harvest and had their hog manure is now been custom hauled. My in-laws finished beans and are kind of in the same boat as him. Some contracts to fill and the corn needs to dry down. So they're parked waiting for that to happen before they start corn. So kind of two different ends of the spectrum right here in Iowa. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're getting ready to wrap things up this weekend. And I'm thinking a lot of farmers are in the Midwest as well. So some folks are getting lucky and some are having to wait here, Tanner. Absolutely. But for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.